from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. We continue with The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley with our featured guest, Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault, where we've hit episode seven. And now we turn a little bit to USC, not fully, because we're still trying to get information and perspective and context on Lincoln Riley's career at Oklahoma, but the shift in this 12-part series as we hit the midway point with episode seven is how do, how do the things that he did at Oklahoma really point the way toward what he's going to do, what he's going to be at USC? So in this seventh episode of our 12-part series, our main topic, our main question is how does Oklahoma's recruiting performance reveal what Lincoln Riley is as a recruiter and where he still needs to go, where he still needs to evolve. So Keegan Renault, uh, how would you generally respond to that question? Maybe walk us through, especially our USC fans listening here on Trojans Wired uh, about the progression of Oklahoma recruiting while Lincoln Riley was head coach. And I'd, I'd throw in as an addendum, did anything he did as offensive coordinator give signals to how he would recruit? as a head coach, or are those really two very different conversations? I do. I think they are two different conversations. I, I, let's focus on him as an off- offensive coordinator. And when, during that time, um, you know, I, I, you, they landed that 2017 recruiting class was kind of that first big recruiting class for them. And that would be the recruiting class prior to Bob Stoops retiring and that June. So think February of 2017, Bob Stoops retires in June. Um, that's really the first one that Lincoln had his hands all over. And it seemed like the things that Lincoln brought to the table in terms of philosophy, young, energetic, you know, what is connecting with players these days. It seems like Oklahoma was hitting all the right cylinders. They called it Sooner Squad 17. Uh, and that group went on to help Oklahoma do a bunch of really, really, really good things. Um, And I think that that was kind of the first sign of how Lincoln Riley was going to tactically uh, recruit specifically around a quarterback, Matt, Uh, Chris Robison, uh, that ended up playing for Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic, was the headliner of that recruiting class, was an Elite 11 finalist. Um, I believe that same Elite 11 team was really, really good um, up at the opening or the team that Chris Robison, Chris Robison was on. Obviously, things didn't go well for Chris Robinson at the University of Oklahoma, and he was off. Uh, he didn't even last it a full summer um, before he was moving on. But that class really was the first one that Lincoln had his full um, hands on, and specifically while he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. However, I do think what's super interesting specifically is, it, like we talk about all the time with Lincoln Riley, is he's very calculated. He he's very forward thinking. He thinks ahead. They did a really, really, really good job laying the foundation to get into bigger schools that Oklahoma hadn't been in. And I had I had a running list. I will try to find it while we're doing this 
doing this podcast so I could bring it up. But, you know, there's some big powerhouse high schools in Texas and Florida um, and other places around the country that Oklahoma was, you know, piece by piece, step by step, recruit by recruit getting into uh, that really helped Oklahoma land some of those elite players. Um, So I think that they did a really good job with that. And like you said, I think the, you know, how he was an offensive coordinator, it really turned and kicked into full gear um, whenever he became the head coach and they really embraced social media. And I think that, you know, the whole social media savant, right. That, that title that Lincoln Riley got, I think that's started with that 2017 recruiting class, you know, move forward, but this, you got to really think about where Oklahoma was at um, and where they were recruiting at um, prior to, uh, you know, prior to them, prior to Lincoln Riley becoming a head coach. I'm pulling up the numbers right now. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's blue chip ratio increased by almost fit, oh, increased over 20 percent in 2015. When he first arrived, Oklahoma's blue chip ratio was at 40 percent and blue chip ratio. Uh, four or five stars uh, recruits signed versus three stars in the whole class. Um, they were at 40%. And by the time that he was gone, Oklahoma was at 64%. Um, so they they really kicked it up and into a high gear once he, he got there. And I think that his energy behind him, that young, that kind of understood social media and understood what the kids were really focusing on and hitting those notes really helped them out. All right, so the obvious follow-up question here, Keegan, is how? what was the change in terms of the coaching staff from the Bob Stoops staff to the Lincoln-Riley staff? I imagine that there was not a lot of turnover, that it was a pretty stable staff, but you know, it, it was there a specific change in personnel or any element of the Oklahoma football operations that might have uh, helped Lincoln-Riley structurally uh, to make the advancements that he made in 2017. So when Jay Bowler was hired by Texas after the 2018 or 2019 season, one of the two, that was the first coach since Lincoln Riley was hired in 15 to leave. So they had four years of stability um, while Lincoln Riley, between he was an offensive coordinator in 25, 2015 when he was a head coach, um, they didn't, I don't believe they elevated any new offensive coaches at that time. The 10th assistant was not in place. Jay Bulware leaves. They bring in Shane, a guy named Shane Beamer. He's not, he's not half bad. Um, and I really, they were just super stable. Um, and I think that that continuity really, really helped them out on the recruiting trail with developing players and the way that they're able to continue to further their system, um, really helped out. So to what you're asking, like functionality wise with the way, way the staff was built. And when Bob left, I mean, Lincoln became the head coach, but he still held offensive coordinator quarterbacks title. They didn't have a 10th assistant. I mean, it was, it was pretty stable. And I think when Bob really opened up and let Lincoln and his ideas flow, uh, was really when recruiting, you know, I, this is, I mean, Oklahoma had success, right? Like, don't get me wrong, 2011, I think they won 11 games and they underperformed 2012. I think they won 10 games. And by the fan base's expectations, they underperformed 2013. They went a Sugar Bowl, um, but still kind of underperformed that season. Um, when you kind of take that perspective and you add on to what um, the way they were recruiting at the time, right? They were still kind of in that mentality of, you know, we're going to win with you. We're going to win without you. And the kids were changing, right? The, the times are changing. The kids were getting more acclimated to social media and they were seeing everything and they started acting different. 
And I think Oklahoma struggled a little bit to, to adjust and change. And then Lincoln came in um, and, and rapidly that started to evolve into kind of Kale Gundy becoming more acclimated to social media. I know, Matt, you see his tweets these days. Um, you know, Kale Gundy's the glue. He's kind of the um, the guy that, I mean, he's been, he's been a staff member at Oklahoma for over 20 years. And so uh, he was on staff still at the time. I mean, there's a lot of stability on that side of the football, Matt, that really helped Lincoln establish his plan and really execute at a high level on the recruiting trail. Well, that's that's certainly something that we're going to talk about in one of the, the future episodes of this series, uh, Lincoln Riley's coaching staff and uh, what that says about uh, his acumen in terms of assembling uh, people around him. But again, that's for the future. In terms of continuing with recruiting, uh, take us inside the the uh, the process, Keegan. Like you, so you said that Oklahoma was lagging in terms of social media presence and presentation. In terms of like the secret sauce, or in terms of you know how to land top recruits and really be on top of the recruiting game in the modern age, what's kind of split up the pie for us? Like how much of it is social media? How much of it is the program's natural success and and, and pedigree and prestige? And how much of it is you know, the retail political skills, but, you know, there are many different components to all of this. What's your sense of how it comes together and how it generally needs to be done? Uh, and, but I could also add what might be unique about recruiting at Oklahoma compared to USC, compared to Ohio State, compared to Miami. Um, just walk us through these different components of, of the larger process. Well, I, I think, one, Oklahoma is definitely a unique situation, right? You, you leave the campus of USC, and within three hours of driving, you can probably field your entire team and have a very talented college football contending team, as well as you would have at Miami. Um, Ohio State's been nationally recruiting um, since Urban Meyer uh, took over there in Columbus, so it's a little bit different. But I think the big thing, right, what they were able to do in year one was establish and, and identify early on so let's say, you know, Lincoln Riley takes over at Oklahoma in 2015. Um, by 2017, they, they have their best recruiting class that they had signed in, a, in, in over five years. I think since 2010, um, that 2017 recruiting class was, was very, very, very highly regarded. Um, they didn't have a top 10 class in 2014, 2015, 2016, and they had a number seven class in 2017. Um, and again, I think the most important thing is they had identified early. They built relationships early. You have the Oklahoma background, right? And I think you also have to have proof of concept, like, you know, that 2015, right? They, they win the big 12 title. They go to the college football playoff 2016. They have two Heisman, um, finalists at the ceremony in New York. And I think Oklahoma was able to cash in on a lot of that early success that Lincoln was able to have. So you have the ability to identify and evaluate. You have um, the two, the roster construction. I think at the time, I, you know, they were still doing fine there. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and then three, you know, you got to be able to, you got to be able to pay off success. I think that for Oklahoma, not for Oklahoma fans, Matt, but for Oklahoma state fans, right. You look at, the run that they had between 2007 and 2011. And, you know, they didn't really, in terms of recruiting, go on a run after that. They didn't, they didn't bank off that success. They didn't, you know, you look at what the way TCU was able to recruit after they had some early success in the big 12, like Oklahoma state didn't do that. Now when Oklahoma went on their run in 15 and 16, I think they really were able to sell a proof of concept of what we're doing. We're still Oklahoma. We're still a championship pedigree program. 
Um, and you, when you identify kids early and you sell them that for two years and you have a guy like CD lamb, Matt, that actually commits to Oklahoma decommits and then recommits again. Um, again, I think it just goes to show that, um, early on, uh, for Lincoln, he did a really, really good job of identifying and evaluating. And, you know, I think it even goes to show like you use Spencer Rattler and I think even go as deep as far as to say Malachi Nelson as, as an example, like he offered Spitzer Rattler after his freshman season in high school. So he had recruited him for three years um, before he had gotten to Oklahoma. And the same was, was could be said for what Malachi Nelson is like for USC. I mean, he was basically Oklahoma's main target as a quarterback for three years. So they did a really good job getting in early on kids. They did a really good job developing relationships with them. And then you have that added success in on top of it, Matt, and you can sell the Oklahoma brand. I think that's really what is able to help Oklahoma out, not just during when Lincoln was there, but even what you're seeing a little bit right now, how Oklahoma's on a hot streak. Uh, whenever this podcast is dropped, this is July 11th. Um, Oklahoma uh, is going to continue to go on a run here the rest of this month. Building off that, you, Keegan, you had said in, in an earlier podcast that Riley did a good job of making Oklahoma cool. And, and so in recruiting – that can go a long way. All everything that you just listed is, is fine and dandy, but at a program like USC, presumably that goes a lot further than it would with all due respect to Oklahoma. Um, You know, you have the bright lights, you have that national to a certain extent exposure. How much is is that cool factor uh, of chip that he can have to play uh, when he heads over to USC? Yeah, I think that one, you got to continue to always evolve and adjust. Uh, I think I'm not going to sit here and say like other schools and programs have caught up to Oklahoma's early on um, taking on the, you know, technology and camera work and content. Right. I, I think early on that Oklahoma was able to utilize that as something different. And the way that they were, you know, it always felt like Oklahoma and, the, and this really was under Lincoln you know, they were putting content out as, hey, we have a product that you want to see. We're not going to give you all the behind the, you know, behind the scene details. Um, but here it is. This is what we're doing. This is what we're working on. And I really think it allowed people to kind of feel like they had a sense of being close to the program. But again, this was early on. And I think that's a different conversation as time goes on, right? And people get to, you know, get more comfortable with the way they were utilizing and attacking um, social media as a way to promote the program, uh, and to what you're, to what you're asking. Yeah. I think that, you know, your USC is going to have good moments this year and you're going to see them sell the hell out of it. They're going to have some bad moments and you won't see USC talk about it too much. And I think that goes to show for that's for every program, but you really, really noticed it that the way they, I mean, any good thing, any positive news for Oklahoma, they sold the ever loving crap out of it. And I think whenever you have that and you're innovative with the way you're using and attacking um, social media and the, and the way you promote your program, uh, that's what made Oklahoma hip again, right? It kind of made it a little bit cool to go to play at a place like Oklahoma. This isn't some, you know, it wasn't just some old school blue blood program that hasn't caught up with the times. Like, no, like uh, Oklahoma was, was there. They, they, they were, you know, when they went to, they won a big 12 title in 2015. I think that was kind of their, you know, when they stepped on that stage of, okay, this is a new era of college football. The college football playoff is a year in its existence. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're here to compete. 
And I think that whenever you have that success, um, and it's cool, like, like Baker Mayfield wore a Fu Manchu handlebar mustache playing Bedlam, um, playing Oklahoma Stadium in 2015. Like, that wasn't happening. Like, Josh Heupel, that wasn't happening on his watch, right? Like, I don't know how much you guys know or follow what goes on at Tennessee or the way he is, but I've been told he's a pretty strict coach. Um, you know, like, like Lincoln allowed Baker Mayfield to do that. They went out there and, you know, beat the dog out of him in 2015 and, and Baker's got a Fu Manchu on his face, right? Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that that was just a little bit different after Riley arrived in 15. All right. So one of the pieces of the puzzle for Oklahoma, uh, when Lincoln Riley was head coach was dealing with Mike Stoops as defensive coordinator and of course, brother of Bob Stoops. So when Lincoln Riley you know, took over as head coach and he wasn't going to fire or replace Mike Stoops right off the bat. He was going to give Mike Stoops a chance. I mean, like that wouldn't have sat well with Bob, I can't imagine. So he was going to at least uh, see what Mike Stoops was capable of. And, you know, we we know the results on the field. They weren't very good with the OU defense. But in terms of recruiting, you know, how much should we assign to a defensive coordinator in terms of recruiting on that side of the ball when the head coach is such an offense first guy as Lincoln Riley is like when a, when a, when there, you have that split, how important is it for the defensive coordinator uh, to, to bring in the elite recruits? How do you, um, you know, break down that particular dynamic uh, as it existed at Oklahoma? It was definitely weird, right? Because I think a lot of people and, you know, I, I, we're all we all watch the games like we all see what was happening with defense at Oklahoma in 16 um you know we saw what it looked like they had a pretty good defense in 2015 2014 was okay it was you know just a a bit you know above average um you know things were not heading in the right direction and obviously that first year the way you know Georgia had I think their running backs averaged over 10 yards of carry in the Rose Bowl there were still some bad moments in 2017 in terms of the defense uh it was an interesting dynamic I I you know if, if Lincoln Riley hadn't taken over for Bob Stoops like it, it does cross my mind all the time like does Mike Stoops is he retained um as the defensive coordinator if Lincoln Riley was just hired you know if he wasn't the offensive coordinator, if it wasn't the Stoops family, right. I think that does go through my mind quite a bit. Um, you know, in the way that it definitely did help Mike, I think Mike was able to, you know, land guys like Nick Benito, who was absolute paramount to Oklahoma success. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, you know, Obo Gronquo talks about Mike Stoops over on, on social media all the time about how positive an influence he was. So I think Mike, you know, did give Oklahoma some players and Alex Grinch to work with. Uh, when Alex Grinch took over in 2019. Uh, and, you know, I think Oklahoma's success during those three years prior to that really was able to help, you know, it's really easy to sell to a defender, uh, specifically an elite one. Hey, you know, we have the number one offense in the country. We've had multiple Heisman quarterbacks. Um, you know, I think that's an easy sell if you're a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma at the time. And I did do think that that, hel- that helped them out. Um, but to what to your question, it it has crossed my mind quite a bit of, if Lincoln was an outsider or if an outsider was hired um, in the summer 2017, like how, how long, you know, does, how long is the DC there while the dog is barking in the background for just a second? Um, It's certainly, uh, it's certainly has crossed my mind quite a bit. And now my dog is barking. Uh, So in terms of 
the 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 mixture, you know, Mike Stoops, was he clearly a better recruiter than head coach? Was it pretty much the would you put him his recruiting ability and coaching ability on on a similar plane? And and let's deal with the follow up here that you know if if he if he was a better recruiter than he was a head coach, why wasn't he able to scheme up? Uh, the players that he recruited to, to make, to unleash the full measure of their talents. It, it's always something that they were just something that I think back on, right. whenever you had the big 12 was evolving uh, when Mike Stoops came back in 2012, you had new teams coming in, you had new offenses. And I think that they tried to have so many plans to stop um, the Bryles kind of offense, right? The Holgerson um, offense at West Virginia. There's all these new up-tempo, make your defense uncomfortable, put them in uncomfortable situations. And I think Oklahoma tried to have so many plans to stop every single offense that they kind of lost their identity and who they were. In 2017 at Ohio State, I think that they had a plan they stuck to that plan and they executed at a really, really high level. They stayed in that Oki front, that three, four front that they had run for the couple years prior. Um, and, you know, I, I think that as the year went on, they just kind of tried to get a little too multiple and, you know, it happens. Like, you know, like I think we said, you know, you see this all the time, Matt, and, and throughout history and even throughout coaches, you know, coaches don't forget. I think coaches sometimes don't adjust. And I think that those that was one of those periods of times for Mike Stoops where he had a lot of success at Arizona, you know, considering, you know, relative to expectations at Arizona, right? Um, they had, you know, elite defenses at Oklahoma. There was good defenses at Arizona. There was a couple good defenses in 2013. They had a pretty solid defense. 2015, their defense was pretty solid um, during Mike's tenure at OU. Uh, but again, I just think they failed to adjust and, and adjust to the times. And, and when you do that and, and you try to throw the kitchen sink at a problem that um, you haven't identified even your own problem, like that's that's probably where you get beat uh, at, at this level in this sport. And I think that that's kind of why you saw the defensive decline at Oklahoma in the 2010s. And honestly, you know, again, I know we'll get into this throughout these episodes, but um, you know, even continued on. Right. And I think that same kind of mentality is what really hurt Oklahoma defensively from 2020 to 21. Um, so in terms of how it, it didn't really impact their recruiting on that side of the ball um, in 2017 and 2018. Um, but I think at the same time, like it was very obvious that Oklahoma was still not able to get over that hump and land players, you know, that were going to Georgia and Alabama and LSU um, which is obviously something if you want to compete at this level that you have to do. All right. People listening to this episode might wonder, hey, why haven't you talked about Alex Grinch yet? Trust <laughs> me, we're going we're going to talk about Grinch in a future episode of this series. But that's it for episode seven of this 12 part series. The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley with our Oklahoma insider walking us through this special part of college football, the career of Lincoln Riley. In our next episode, episode eight, we're going to talk again about recruiting, but a little bit more specifically. We're going to talk about recruiting in the state of Texas, especially offensive linemen. That's episode eight 
We thank you for listening to Episode 7 of The Riley Files here on Trojans Wired. (laughs) 